Well, friends, uh, the passage before us on this final Sunday in 2020 is to be found in Luke's Gospel and again in chapter 2 for this evening, just for 25 minutes or so. As this Christmas season draws to a close and as we as we ponder the new year ahead, I thought it would be good for us uh, to briefly uh, meditate upon the prophetess Anna. And so if you could turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and verses 36 uh, to 38. Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 36 to 38. And as you're turning there, let me remind you that this passage is not primarily about Anna. This passage is all about Jesus Christ. Our very maker, who as we have just sung, came to this very earth, God himself, who was with us 2,000 years ago. For as the scholar and physician Luke, in the early chapters of his first century account here, effectively shouts what we have sung already. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. You see, Anna is not ultimately the one to be seen, not ultimately the one to be hailed or glorified. Anna is not center stage in this historical account and not even center stage in these three verses. For just like every other part of the school nativity, from the shepherds to the angels to Mary and Joseph, Anna is essentially just a bit part character in these scenes. The message, the message that the gloriously rings out from this historical production is that the king has come. The king has come. Indeed, throughout her whole life, Anna was just a simple signpost to the coming king. She was, as you see there, a prophetess, one who predicted and looked forward to the king. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, because of that, because she was one who waited expectantly for Christ, Anna provides you and I with a wonderful model of Christian expectation, of how believers are to live in light of the coming King. For in many senses, as believers here in 2020, we find ourselves in exactly the same situation as Anna, waiting for the King. Not waiting for Jesus to come for the first time, obviously, but but waiting for King Jesus to come back. And so this evening, as 2021 dawns, I want us to ask a simple question. What should Christian expectation look like? What should Christian expectation look like? Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Please be seated and let us pray as we begin.
may these words of my mouth and may the meditation of all our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I crossed the staircase landing and entered the room she indicated. From that room too, the daylight was completely excluded and it had an airless smell that was oppressive. Yet it was spacious and I dare say had once been handsome. But now every discernible thing in it was covered with dust and mold and was dropping to pieces. The most prominent object was a long table with a tablecloth spread on it as if a feast had been in preparation when the house and all the clocks stopped together. A centerpiece of some kind was in the middle. It was so heavily overhung with cobwebs that its form was quite indistinguishable. And as I looked along the yellow expanse, out of which I remember it seeming to grow like a black fungus, I saw speckled legged spiders with blotchy bodies running home to it. And I heard mice rattling behind the panels, as if the same occurrence were important to their interests. But the black beetles took no notice of the agitation and groped about in an elderly, ponderous way. These crawling things had fascinated my attention, and I was watching them from a distance when Miss Havisham laid a hand upon my shoulder. In her other hand, she had a crutch, and she looked like the witch of the place. This... She said, pointing to the long table with a stick. This is where I will be laid when I am dead. They shall come here and look at me here. What do you think that is? She asked me again, pointing with a stick. That, where those cobwebs are. I can't guess what it is, ma'am. It is a great cake. A bride cake. Mine. A few months ago, as you may recall, I started a sermon with Oliver Twist. And although I worked very hard to avoid Charles Dickens again, with all the festivities and perhaps my missing of England, and the book's title, Great Expectations, well, it was just all too apt to avoid. For Dickens's mournful character, Miss Havisham, provides the, the perfect foil for the expectant Anna. If you don't know this story, Great Expectations, or have forgotten it since school, let me remind you that Miss Havisham is a wealthy old lady who lives in the past. Indeed, as I just read, she lives in the dark so that she might not see the days passing by. And yet there's a particular reason why she refuses to look forward in life, for as Dickens' story continues, we learn that Miss Havisham never moves past her wedding day. She refuses to take off her bridal gown, she refuses to remove that the wedding day at feast, her bride cake lies moldy and bug-ridden on a cobweb-filled table. She refuses to allow time to pass. Indeed, all the clocks in her house are set to 8.40, the very moment when years before she discovered that her bridegroom was not coming to her wedding, that he had just wanted her for her money and did not want to marry her. In short... Past disappointment dominated her every day until death. Such that she even declares to Pip, the main character, that, that she will be buried 
by her feast that never was. Her greatest expectations have been dashed. And so she lives out her days in bitter hopelessness. But in great contrast, in reality and not fiction, in verse 36, we meet the lovely Anna, an elderly lady who lives all her days, not looking back in hopelessness, but looking forward in hope, which is very striking. For you see, Anna has every reason to live like Miss Havisham. We are told in verse 36 that she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. Can you grasp Anna's life? In all likelihood, in first century Israel, Anna was married as a teenager, had no children, and then saw her husband die after just seven years when she was probably around 20. But now, Anna is 84 years old, which means that she could have easily spent the last 64 years of her life like Miss Havisham, living in the darkness dwelling upon disappointment, looking back to the bridegroom that was taken from her, staring every day at photos of that great wedding day feast, mourning the marriage that failed great expectations. And in many ways, that would have been quite understandable. For how heartbreaking it is Anna's story when we understand it. Certainly no less heartbreaking than Miss Havisham's. And yet Anna does not spend all her days looking back to ruined feasts. Instead, point one, Anna fasts. What should Christian expectation look like? Point one, fasting, not looking back to ruined feasts. Fasting, not looking back to ruined feasts. Verse 37, look with me again. She lived as a widow until she was 84 she did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. After her husband's funeral, age 20, Anna does not just draw the curtains and just stay inside. And nor does she go to the party and, and the dating website. No, instead, Anna goes to the temple in Jerusalem and for 64 years walks closely with the Lord. She prays every day. And every night, and she fasts. Someday she makes herself hungry because she wants to remind herself that she is hungering for another day. Not hungering after her bridegroom passed, but hungering after her bridegroom to come. Luke tells us that Anna went to the temple and became a prophetess. One who spent all her days meditating upon God's promise of a saviour. One who read with great expectation passages of Scripture, like Jeremiah 33 and Isaiah 62, which spoke of God's coming to his people like a bridegroom to a bride. For Anna, a ruined feast led to fasting with hope. A ruined feast led to fasting with hope. Night and day, she prayed to God, please, will you come soon just as you have promised. Friends, for many of us, 2020 has been one of horrific dissent. And many of us, like Anna, have seen loved ones leave us. Many of us have experienced not great expectations, but great hopelessness. 
Hopelessness in our health, wrestling with depression, hopelessness in our jobs, perhaps struggling in unemployment, hopelessness in our battles with sin and seeing very little fruit, hopelessness in childlessness, grieving miscarriages, hopelessness in singleness, fearing a lonely future, exhausted by all the independence, worrying about whether we can support ourselves, whether anyone will care for us when we are older. Indeed, some of you listening to this right now have battled the same tragic disappointments as Anna. Many of us have experienced great expectations dashed within marriage and in lack of marriage. And many of us now look at 2021 with little worldly hope. And in one sense, it is right. It is right to grieve a terrible year. You know, the Bible is not some 1940s British motivational poster, keep calm and carry on. No, the Bible tells us that when great feasts in this life are ruined, that we can stop and that we can look back and that we can mourn and that we can lament and that we can go to God, the God of all comfort. But also, the Bible tells us that when great feasts in this life are ruined, that wonderfully, we can look forward to the real feast that is to come. When spouses and loved ones leave us or totally fail us, when singleness for another year feels unbearable, then just like Anna, we are to anticipate Christ, that bridegroom that is to come. Indeed, not only we are to anticipate that feast like Anna, but we are to fast for it, lifting our heads, getting on board with God's agenda and praying diligently, come Lord Jesus. Obviously not fasting for his first coming like Anna, but fasting for his second coming when all hunger shall end. For when Jesus came to earth, fasting for his disciples did end for a bit. All was feasting when Jesus the bridegroom was on earth. But after Jesus died for our sin and rose to eternal life, fasting for his return to earth was to start again. Luke 5.34, Jesus said to them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Can you see? Christian expectation is evidenced in our fasting now. It's not that a lack of physical food makes our prayers more effective before God. It's not that skipping breakfast increases the likelihood of, of Jesus returning by lunchtime. But fasting helps us to hunger for what we are most looking forward to. As John Piper helpfully writes, fasting is the physical exclamation point at the end of our prayers. I need you, I want you, I long for you. You are my treasure. I want more of you. Oh, for the day when you would return, come Lord Jesus. What should Christian expectation look like? Point one, fasting and not looking back to ruined feasts. And so, may this passage before us and the, and the example of Anna cause us not to look back without hope, but cause us to look forward in hope. Not ultimately looking to 2021, and hopes of vaccines and, and vacations, but to the imminent return of the king, the imminent return of the king who shall end every pang of hunger, 
And so friends, why not make it a New Year's resolution to fast more for that day, to make more time to pray with exclamation points, King Jesus, would you come back soon, end this kingdom of winter, and inaugurate your kingdom of spring, and may this world full of ruined feasts make me more hungry for that wonderful wedding supper of the Lamb. For one day, my dear friends, he, he will come. He will come just as he's promised. One day, all the clocks really will stop. For as we see in Anna's story, God's promises do come to pass. The waiting may be long, but the true king shall return and the true bridegroom will come to his bride. Do you pray that he might come in our lifetime? For as we note here, the promised king that Anna prayed for and fasted for night and day did come in her lifetime. In this passage, we learn that the, that the very elderly Anna, right at the end of her day, saw the coming of Jesus. We read of, in, in verse 22, Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. And as pious Jewish parents, they, they dedicate their firstborn to the Lord's service, as we read of in the Old Testament. And there in the temple days after Jesus' birth, the, the baby Jesus is seen by Anna, who, who waited all her life for this very moment. Note that Anna hears no teaching from the lips of this baby boy. Anna sees no visible signs of her, her king's total rule. No healings, no, no, no miracles, no, no calming of storms, no saving cross, no miraculous resurrection yet. But she knows, she knows that the wait is over, that the king has come. And so what does Anna do next? Now that she knows that the wait is over, well, verse 38 tells us that she does two things. Uh, the first of which, and second point this evening, is that Anna thanks God. What should Christian expectation look like? Point two, thankfulness, not bitterness towards others. Thankfulness, not bitterness towards others. Uh, just 48 hours ago, I imagine that you uh, received gifts, and I imagine that uh, you gave many gifts as well. Trust you did. How did it all go? And for some people I gave gifts to, I'll be honest, I've, I've absolutely no idea whether they loved them or hated them. I've come to realize that in the sweet southern states, some people are just so polite that I'll never know. Honestly, I think I could have given my neighbors my 1990s Radiohead CD collection, and they would have just opened it with smiles. However, with my four-year-old British son, I tend to get some more frank feedback. If it's a dress shirt, his little eyes squint and his, his eyebrows furrow and his face scrunches as fast as the wrapping paper. On the other hand, though, if it's a Playmobil police car, well, then his little face is, is full of absolute delight. His arms are thrown around Sarah and I, and, and he runs around the room in a little victory lap. And I know, I know that he is genuinely filled with thankfulness. Well, on my very first Christmas, how does Anna react to the gift given? The gift of God's Savior and King. Verse 38, look down with me. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. 
and I see the little Lord Jesus, the promised king, the one who came to save Israel and came to save you and I from all our selfishness, from all our sin. The baby who was born to redeem us, to, to rescue us, to take the punishment for all our rebellion, that, that one day when the king comes again, we may stand before a holy God and be justified. And so Anna unwraps that gift and she bursts out in praise. No doubt her frail 84-year-old body prevents her from doing a victory lap in the temple. But upon seeing Jesus, her elderly eyes widen in joy and she raises her voice in thankfulness to God. Friends, what about you this Christmas time? As you unwrap these historical truths once again, what will you do as you see the baby who came to save you? Will you scrunch up your face like a four-year-old receiving a dress shirt, seeing him as a gift your parents quite like, but ultimately a gift that you really don't appreciate? Maybe you've stopped acting like a four-year-old when it comes to Jesus. Maybe you receive Christ with all southern smiles publicly. You sing sweet carols about the coming king. But all the while, you are secretly planning to throw this gift away when you get home again because he's not really what you want for 2021. Or, or will you receive him like Anna? Again, or, or perhaps for the first time, receiving Christ like a little boy receiving a toy police car on Christmas morning, thanking your heavenly father again and again and again for that which you realize that you most want and that you most need this year and every year after a king to lead an otherwise purposeless life and a savior to redeem you from all the shackles of sin. Despite all of our disappointments in previous years, despite all of her pain of living alone for decades, despite all of her anger that could have been aimed at the divine, causing her to doubt, Anna looks at her coming king and thanks God. Friends, you know, as you continue on in this life, particularly as you reach old age like Anna, let me tell you that it becomes increasingly evident who has already unwrapped King Jesus with thanks and is expectantly waiting for the bridegroom of tomorrow and who is still madly unwrapping the fleeting toys of today. For you see, gray-haired Christians who increasingly look ahead at what is to come, are marked by an increasing thankfulness in old age. But sadly, in contrast, often gray-haired unbelievers who increasingly look back to what might have been are marked by increasing bitterness in old age. And this ever-growing division is evidenced not only in our interactions with God, but you know often in our interactions with other people. In the story Great Expectations, again, the unbelieving Miss Havisham continues to wallow in all the disappointment of her failed past, and particularly the sin of the male species. And as she descends ever deeper into this darkness, refusing to look ahead at days to come, replaying suffering and the sins of other people again and again, she begins to train other people in thanklessness. Indeed, a few years after Miss Havisham is jilted at the altar, 
She raises an orphan child called Estella. She says that she wants to save this girl from her fate, wants to protect her from disappointment in life, but gradually, bitterness takes hold and is spread, and she starts to train Estella to destroy the hearts of other men. Wretchedly, the Miss Havishams of life who have not unwrapped the gift of Jesus, who are never able to look ahead with thanks, become bitter and vengeful in the end. Friends, I pray. I pray that there would not be a spirit of bitter Miss Havishams in our church. Indeed, I rejoice. I rejoice that there is not. And instead, that, that God is, is evidently raising up a set of thankful Annas in our church. A group of women and men who are not trite about real disappointment in life, who do not walk around the church with smiles just painted on, who do not pretend that Christ's return means no tears now, but a group of women and men who are ultimately so thankful for Christ's coming and who wait expectantly for his glorious coming again, that they are marked by an irrepressible thankfulness to God. And so a group of women and men who seek to model to younger women and men a deep hope, who seek to train up younger women and men in being thankful to God and not better towards others. What should Christian expectation look like? Fasting, not looking back to ruined feasts, thankfulness, not betterness towards others. And finally, point three, evangelism. Evangelism, not doubting God's redemption scene, evangelism, not doubting God's redemption scene. You know, at the end of the book, Great Expectations, we realize that the storyteller Pip has fallen for Miss Havisham's girl, Estella. And that Estella has indeed callously carried out Miss Havisham's revenge upon the male species, such that the innocent boy Pip is left at the end of the story utterly heartbroken. But far from feeling glad about her revenge upon the male species, uh, Miss Havisham realizes all the bitterness that it has created in the lives of other people. That a desire to sit in utter hopelessness has only ruined the hopes of other people. Accordingly, at the end of the story, Miss Havisham becomes most haunted not by her suffering and others' sin but actually by others' suffering and her sin. Indeed, the most frightening picture of Miss Havisham that Charles Dickens paints is not her at the start of the story, but actually her at the end. For it is a picture of an old lady who is held captive and tortured by her sin and her guilt. At the end of the story, we read, Miss Havisham dropped to her knees at my feet with her folded hands raised to me, in the manner in which they must often have been raised to heaven from her mother's side. I entreated her to rise and got my arms about to help her up, but she only pressed that hand of mine, which was nearest her grasp, and hung her head over it and wept. I'd never seen her shed a tear before. And in the hope that the relief might do her some good, I bent over without speaking. But she was not kneeling now, but was down upon the ground. Oh, she cried despairingly, what have I done? What have I done? Indeed, just a few paragraphs later, Mrs. Havisham actually lies on her deathbed 
and we read, towards midnight, she began to wonder in her speech, what have I done? What have I done? And then take the pencil and write under my name, I forgive her. Sadly, at the end of her days, we realize that Miss Havisham has found no relief and no redemption, and so no hope. And she dies, a captive to her bitterness and her sin and all her guilt, doubting that she will ever be forgiven. And so again, her final days are nothing like Anna's. For Miss Havisham does not see Jesus, the coming king. And so Miss Havisham does not know of redemption. She has no confidence of right standing before other people and ultimately before God. But Anna here sees the coming king, the coming savior. God's promise is soon to be completed. And so Anna rejoices boldly in her certain redemption. 84 years old and able to lie on her deathbed with confidence. Not in her good work done. Not in her many prayers prayed. Not in 64 years of temple service, but Anna dies without any doubts because she trusts, verse 38, in God's redemption. And although Anna does not know all the details of that redemption in Jerusalem, how Jesus will be lifted up on a cross 33 years later for all her sin, because Anna knows that God's Savior has come and that God keeps his promises, she knows that God has already taken that pencil and written under her name, I forgive her. And so Anna thanks God with deep assurance. She feels no embarrassment. She lifts up her voice and she praises God in the temple. Her worship is loud and her worship is public. Yet if we look closely at verse 38, just in closing, we, we see that Anna raises her voice not only to God, but also can you see there to her neighbors. Verse 38, for the last time, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Friends, when we're genuinely excited and expectant about someone's arrival, when we've been given that, that very best of gifts that we could have hoped for, we cannot stay silent about it, can we? For how many times have I, have I heard people in this past week speaking expectantly of future Christmases with family members next year? Next year, we encourage our friends and family. Next year, we'll meet up face-to-face. -face. Soon, the waiting will be over. You'll come. Likewise, how many times have I seen my children not only delighting privately in their favorite uh, gifts this Christmas, but holding up their best presents on the Zoom camera in deep delight. Grandma, look what I've got. Look at this gift. Granddad, can you see what it does? It's so cool. Poor friends, whether we are four years old or whether we are 84 years old, we cannot help it. We are made to gossip good news. Good news of someone's coming when we feel all alone and hopeless. Good news of great gifts when we feel on the floor. Friends, next week, next week we move to a new neighborhood and a new part of our city and in a brand new year. And as expectant people looking forward to Jesus coming again, looking forward to being declared not guilty before God because of his redemption in Christ, what else should we be known for? 
Well, I hope and pray that we shall be known as a people who are like Anna. People who cannot help but share this good news. People who cannot help evangelizing other people in our city. People who cannot help but speak of God's redemption plan. People who speak to our friends and our neighbors and who speak expectantly of the coming of Jesus to those who are in the depths, those who live in the darkest places like the Miss Havishams of this world, those who think that they cannot be forgiven, those who have no hope in the storm and in the night of life, those who have souls that are deeply unsatisfied. Friends, in 2021, may we wait for him expectantly, like Anna, and like we should. Let's pray. Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Father, we thank you that we know that these words are true. Because your son did come. And so we pray that we would wait in all godliness and all patience for his coming again soon. We pray in his name. Amen.